It's too much, it's too much, it's too much. I just can't take it, dear Lord, it's too much. It's too hard, it's too much, it's too rough. I just can't take it, dear Lord, it's too much. I don't know why I even had to go through this. I don't know how I'm ever going to make it. But now I know, I know you'll give me all the strength I need. And so I know with you, Lord, I can face it. It's too much, it's too much, it's too much. I just can't take it, dear Lord, it's too much. It's too hard, it's too much, it's too rough. I just can't take it, dear Lord, it's too much. I don't know why I even had to go through this. I don't know how I'm ever going to make it. But now I know, I know you'll give me all the strength I need. And so I know with you, Lord, I can face take a look at a few scriptures that, that talk about entering through the gate of the Lord and kind of what that means. Now, I want you to first start thinking about what a gate is to you, because, you know, to us, I guess typically gates we sort of think of as, as keeping people out uh, and, you know, away from maybe like, you know, our own stuff, but the things that belong to us. But, you know, there's also some other reasons for gates. You know, gates can also provide protection. 
Like, you know, if you want to uh, have whatever is within inside that, that fence and within, within that gate, if you want that to be protected, that gate can be a way that, that can provide that protection. And this is kind of uh, what the Lord is described as for us. The Lord is described as, as uh, being that gate and how we need to enter in and be with the Lord and, and have that, that protection that the gate can provide for us. And in fact, if you remember a few, uh, few weeks ago, I guess that was probably even last year, we looked at how Jesus said that, you know, I am the gate and everybody must enter through me. Well, we're going to be seeing some of those same things. And by the way, the, the way that we enter in and be with the Lord, it has not changed. It still is through Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at some of these passages that speak about entering through the gate of the Lord. Let's start in the Old Testament. You will find this language several times in the Old Testament about entering in uh, through the gate of the Lord and stuff like that. In fact, sometimes it appears in our own songs today. You might even uh, realize that some of these things have been turned into songs that we sing. Let's look at this one. Psalm 118. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down to verses 19 through 29. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With boughs in his hands, join in the festival procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. This psalm, this section that we're looking at, you know, we, we see this, this idea about giving thanks to the Lord because he is good. His love does endure forever. And we see that love in so many different ways in our own lives. Even when we are going through difficult times or uncertain times, we can still rest assured that God is in control. We see that these gates are mentioned about being the gates of the righteous in verse 19. You know, that's part of what it means for us to be with God. It means that we need to be right with God, that we ourselves, we need to be righteous. Now, you know, we can't do that just by, by our own kind of efforts. If you try to do that, you're, you're going to end up falling short because not all of our efforts are good. But whenever, what, what, if what we do is we come before God and we come before Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ, then we can see that we can be counted as righteous because of what Jesus has done, because he has become our salvation. Like what this cry was in verse 21, you know, you have become my salvation. We see even in the Old Testament that they were longing to enter in through these gates of the righteous. They were longing to always give thanks to the Lord. Can't we do that on this side of the cross now? I mean, we've seen the rest of the story. We've seen how literally the Lord has become my salvation, how Jesus saves quite literally you know that's what the name of, of jesus is even connected with and he most certainly lived up to that name 
that the Lord is our salvation. He is through which we can be saved. Each one of us can be saved because this is part of this plan of God. This is what God has planned from the very beginning. And you see so many times in the Psalms that they were praising God because he is so great. He is good. His love does endure forever. He's provided a way for us to enter through. Now, we know even from the New Testament that there's plenty of passages that, that speak about this uh, being through Jesus Christ, this way through Jesus Christ. Verse 22, it talks about the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. It is marvelous in our eyes. Well, that stone that the builders rejected, when we turn to the page of the New Testament, we see that this stone is Jesus Christ himself. In Acts 4, verses 11 through 12, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name of, under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In order for us to be saved today, it has to be through Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke about how the gate is narrow. He spoke about how the way is narrow, that way that leads to life. Jesus Christ led that way. He is our gate. He is the way through which we can be saved, that we can go and that we can be with God. And I'm not talking about just in the future. Okay, if that's what our hope is in uh, for, then I think that our hope is a little short-sighted because entering in and being with God, it doesn't mean that we have to die first and then we get to go and be with God. That's part of it. And I don't want to take away from that, but I want us to realize it's more than that. Because it also has to do with right here, right now, in this life. That's why it's not by accident that when we see Jesus speaking about the kingdom of God, he is rarely just talking about some future thing and saying, oh, well, you can just look forward to this thing. No, he so much of the time said, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's at hand. It's right here in front of us. Now, we need to be people who live up to it and who act like we are in this kingdom right here and right now. So that, that way the Lord's prayer can be answered, uh, that that God's, uh, his, his will, his desire, his rule, and his reign, and his kingdom will come, and that his will will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. That's what this, this concept is about, and Jesus Christ is the one who makes it a reality. Entering through this gate and being with God and with the Lord, it can happen in this life and in the one to come. But it can only happen through Jesus Christ. Salvation can be found in no one else. No other name can provide us with salvation except the name of Jesus Christ. How did he do that? How did he provide us with the salvation? He did that by being obedient, being obedient to the point of death and dying on the cross. And to that, I want to turn to a, a couple of passages in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 4 through 10, Listen to how it speaks about this sacrifice that Jesus gave on our behalf. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you do not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy 
through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This passage not only quotes the Old Testament and speaks about how Jesus came and he boldly said, here I am. I've come to do your will, my God. That's what he says in verse 7. It's also picked back up here and mentioned in verse 9. Shouldn't that be our desire today? Shouldn't that be our saying as well? You know, here I am. I have come to do your will. That doesn't mean that, that God is going to require us to, to go and to die on a cross, even though that was actually required of some Christians in times past. That's not likely going to be required of us. But what will be required of us? You know, many times we won't really know until we just simply come and say, here I am, I've come to do your will. And then we will find out what God's will for us is. Jesus Christ did that. And the will of the Father for him was to die on that cross, to, to be able to provide us with salvation with the blood, not of bulls and goats, but the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why in verse 10, that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This truly is good news. This is news that is so important, so crucial to us. We need to remember it. We need to rejoice in it. We need to be able to see that this is how we enter in and this is how we become righteous. How we are counted righteous is because of this, this sacrifice, this body sacrifice of Jesus that was given on our behalf. It's also that sacrifice that we remember on a weekly basis whenever we take up communion. We remember that body and the blood of Jesus, the blood that cleanses us, that we have been made holy because of this sacrifice. This is not the only passage in the book of Hebrews. And, and by the way, I, I think that the book of Hebrews is a wonderful uh, chapter. Sorry, this is a wonderful chapter. The book of Hebrews is a wonderful book that speaks so much about the sacrifice of Jesus. And if you're wondering, you know, how, how things have changed from the old covenant into this new covenant in which we are in, the book of Hebrews really helps us out in those situations. So now we see this sacrifice that Jesus gave. We also see that there's another way in which Jesus was uh, obedient to the Father, and that's by becoming our high priest. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 5 through 10, this is what we read. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now this passage is saying that, you know, Jesus himself didn't, didn't take on that glory in the sense of, you know, needing to be called high priest or really, you know, wanting to be praised as such, not, not in his earthly life. He didn't do that. But what happened was that God is the one who looked at what Jesus Christ did. And he said, you're my son. Today I've become your father. He also looked at Jesus in verse six and he said, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ, he was a priest and he served before us in our place. He was that, that go between between us and God. And after all, that's kind of what, what priests did, isn't it? 
they offered up sacrifices and did other things that that was kind of a little bit of a, of a go-between between the people and God. Jesus Christ is that for us today. Jesus did that in, in numerous ways. Verse 7, it tells us that he did that by offering up prayers. These are things we can learn. He offered up petitions. And he also did that with, with emotion, with fervent cries and tears to the one who can truly save, our Heavenly Father. And he was heard because of that. And because of that, that's why his name was lifted up. That's why he was given all of this power. And that's why in verse 9 it says that, that he was once made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. The scriptures are pretty plain. The New Testament makes it completely plain that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. The only way to be able to enter in through the gates of our Lord is through entering in through Jesus Christ, accepting his sacrifice on our behalf and being counted righteous in the process. Not because of really our own righteousness, but because we are submitting to this, this plan that God has put in place. This plan that Jesus Christ has, has done what we could not, and he has made us holy. He has become this source of our salvation. Just like back in the Old Testament, the passage that we started with in Psalm 118, we saw that the Lord is our salvation. He most certainly is. This is how the Lord Jesus Christ, how he became our eternal salvation. He asked for us to obey him. He asked for us to, to follow him. That means that, that we obey Jesus, that, that we learn obedience, like what verse 8 says, that Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. There's different ways in which we need to learn obedience, but we need to learn it. We need to obey our Heavenly Father, and follow Him every step of the way. Whatever He says to do, those are the things that we need to be doing so that we will enter into this gate and that we can be with God, not just in the future, but also in this life. It truly does change the way that we live every single day. Let's make sure that we, that we boldly proclaim this message to other people around us, that Jesus is this gate that we enter through, Let's make sure that we enter through it and then we invite other people to do the same.